Has the world gone crazy? Life is difficult. When you need help, where do you turn? Welcome to Christian Impact, impacting your life with spiritual truth. I am Dr. Kelly Blanton, and I'm sharing practical truths in the Bible that can truly change your life. Today is March 1st, 2023. We continue our series, Words for Life, and today's word is tempted. Tempted. So have you ever tried... To cover something up that you did? Why do we do that? Why do we try to cover up the things that we do? Is it because we're afraid? And if so, what are we afraid of? Of course, if we're covering it up, if we're trying to hide it, is it because we know we've done something wrong? We know that we're in the wrong and we're trying to hide that truth. And this brings up the real issue of today's. Do we believe that confession, the need for forgiveness, makes a difference in life? I know a lot of people say, yes, forgiveness makes a difference. But if we're trying to cover things up, do we really believe it'll make a difference? Today we're going to be looking at the word tempted, but it's really, to me, this is the story of humanity. We're going to look at a couple of stories in the scripture. We're going to look at temptation. We're going to look at disobedience and really why it puts all of humanity in a position that we need to be redeemed. We need Redemption. People, you and I, all of us, we need a creative and recreative power of God to save us, to bring us out of this state of attempting to hide and cover ourselves all the time. So with that, let's look at some scriptures today. We're going to look at Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 21. And I know this is quite a mouthful. It's 21 verses. It's quite long. And many of you know the story, but I ask you to hang in there with me because we need the Word of God. Genesis 3, 1 through 21. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat from every tree of the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in that day you eat, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, 
and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave it to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, The woman you gave me, she gave me of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the cattle, more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Then he, to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife, and eating from the tree which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat of the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. Also Adam and his wife also for Adam and his wife the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. This is a powerful scripture, and I love teaching Genesis. If I was to teach verse by verse on Genesis, it may take me an entire year or more on a podcast like this. There is just so much information there. And unfortunately, I'm not here to glean out all the massive information in Genesis 3, because we're talking about tempted. That's the word that God wants us to think about, tempted. And so I want us to look at this story, and I'm going to attempt to put it in some modern language so that we can better understand what's going on. Because here's man and woman, they're in the garden, and everything they need to enjoy life with has been given to them. Everything they need, it's there. And yet sometimes having everything is just not enough. And that's when enter the serpent. He only speaks two times to the woman, just twice. But his words are cunning, calculated, and manipulative. See, we have to understand the devil's going to manipulate us. He's very smart, and he's going to manipulate us. And he doesn't just come outright and reject God and tell us to reject God. That's that's too obvious. You're never going to see a demon or the devil show up in front of you with a pitchfork and red horns and tell you, worship me, become a Satanist. That's not how it works. It's too obvious. No one would do that. No, he's smart. He's going to 
calculate a plan and he's going to manipulate us. He's going to say and do things that will cause us to give him what he wants. And that's what he does here. Instead, he comes to the woman and he just asks her a question. He says, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Yeah, God God gave them everything, everything that they needed. Can you imagine? Every tree they could eat from, they could all they wanted, except for one. And that's immediately what the serpent did, is he questions that action. Did he say you can't eat from that one? Is that what he said? <clears throat> Let me put this in modern language. Today, so many Christians are, quote, deconstructing their faith. And that deconstruction all begins when they listen to the enemy ask a question. See, the question is there to manipulate us. He is manipulating us by having us question that raises doubt. These questions that raise doubt. And you see this a lot. I, I, I personally like science fiction. There's a lot of science fiction movies. They tend to be very anti-Christian, anti-God. And they always come at you like, you know, questions are good and science is about questions. And that's not necessarily what I'm talking about. You can ask questions, but there are questions that if you ask yourself are there to create doubt. It's, it's a manipulation. The question is manipulated to force you to doubt. And when that happens, in comes the second statement the devil makes. And this time he's more bold because now he's got you responding to a question that raises the level of doubt in you. It's not increasing your faith. It's raising your doubt. And when, when he does that, this time he comes in with a statement or a question that's going to contradict God. Because here he said, you're not going to die. No, if you eat that, you'll be like God. You'll be as smart as God. You can be God. You won't die. That's his response. It's a direct contradiction to God. And a lot of deconstruction is it begins with questions that raises doubt. And then it comes into direct contradiction with God. Now, often people have deconstructed their faith. If they just immediately begin that with contradicting God immediately, they're smart enough to know, wait a minute, this is contradicting everything God said. This can't be right because I trust God. But through asking of the right manipulative questions, they've now created doubt. And because you doubt that doubt creates mistrust, and mistrust now leads to let me contradict, let me bring in something that contradicts what you, what you, what you used to believe, so that it will cause you to jump ship. You will now lose faith and choose the contradiction, which before the manipulative question you would have never have done. But it's here, and you see. This process is there to help take us out of that presence of trust. We no longer trust God because we have believed a contradiction. A contradiction which could very easily 
be understood and explained away, but we can't because we have responded to questions that create doubt. And from a position of doubt, we choose to believe a contradiction because when faced with the manipulation, we look foolish if we don't. See, the devil has manipulated us. If you're going to be smart, you're going to, you're going to respond to my contradiction. Can't you see the truth? Can't you, can't you see the truth? And so even though you're looking at something that in reality is right there in front of your eyes and you know the truth, you've chosen the doubt of the manipulation and now believe a contradiction that is no longer true. See, we do the same thing. And when we do this, when we base our decisions on things like this, it's, it's a sin. It's a sin. Sometimes we like, well, I made a mistake. We don't like saying we sinned because it feels bad. Sometimes we just need to go what we what we feel and we need to get to the heart of the issues. Because I don't want to say trapped in bad things. Do you want to say trapped in bad things? Do you want to stay in depression? Do you want to stay in a bad situation? Do you want to keep living under consequences you don't like? Sometimes we just need to admit it was a sin. It's a sin. And you see, when we do these things, there's an innocence in us that's shattered, deformed, and it turns into fear. And I know I say innocence, and we, we think innocence is like, oh, you poor thing, you just didn't know any better. Listen, there, there's, a, there's, a, there's an innocence that we all want to keep. For example, I have no idea what it feels like to chop off my hand. I am innocent in that knowledge. I don't want that knowledge. Do you want that knowledge? You see, it, 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 I'm doing this as like a stupid example, but it's sort of the same. You know, the only way you have knowledge of what it feels like to chop off your hand is if you chop off your hand. But once you chop off your hand, it is now gone and you can't get it back. That you've lost the innocence of knowing what it's like to have a hand because now it's been chopped off. And that's, that's, that, uh, there, I know that has happened to people. It's a terrible thing, but I want us to understand the example. There's innocence in you that you do not want to lose because you've chosen something as sin. Sometimes we say that with innocence and we think that that just means we're stupid and gullible. And if we just go ahead and all lose our innocence, we can move more wise. No, you're not more wise. You're chopping things off of yourself and then trying to talk about why your life is better for not having what you just got chopped off. You know, physically chopping off arms and legs is not a good thing. What we don't understand is spiritually, we're chopping stuff up in us spiritually that affects our, our souls, our emotions, our, our minds. It manifests in our very physical bodies. Sometimes we got, we have illnesses that's really a spiritual issue. Not all physical is, but some spiritual issues cause illnesses that could be fixed really easy, but we don't want to deal with what we did, you see, and we try to hide it. We try to cover it up. But you see, for us, spiritually, we're, we're losing that intimate relationship with God. It's been deformed. It's been cut off. We've been separated by this. By the way, just a quick note. You notice that God never asked the serpent what he did. He just immediately judged 
He judges the serpent immediately. There's no talking to the devil. And you see, and that's the really the problem to begin with. When the devil came to Eve and started talking, she talked back. God doesn't talk to the devil. He just judges. And I know judges can be such a harsh thing, but it's evil. He is evil. We don't, we should not play with evil. And see, when we do, evil will manipulate us, will cause us to doubt, and will then contradict to get us to go in the wrong direction. Now, I want us to look at another story very similar to this one in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. It says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted forty days and forty nights, afterwards he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to, me, came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that God that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, It is written, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all kinds of kingdoms of the world in their glory and said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Now, this Again, is a story of temptation. It's very much like the temptation in the garden, but it's also got some differences. The difference here is that here we have Jesus. He's the embodiment of a perfect man. See, Jesus came to bridge the gulf of separation in our lives because of sin. Jesus came to do that. And he's perfect because he wasn't born, he was born of the Holy Spirit. So he's got this, but yet he's also, with Mary and a human mother, he's also fully man. So he's divine and perfect, but also a man. And that's so he can bridge the gulf, to bridge the separation. And he can make payment for us. And Jesus faces a temptation, the same way Adam and Eve faces a temptation. But of course, Jesus does things better than man. He, he, he overcomes. But look at how he overcomes. See, Satan comes and just immediately offers him the most powerful temptation he can because at this point, the world is under his dominion. He owns everything. He wasn't trying to take it from mankind. Now he has it. And so he doesn't come at Jesus with manipulative questions. He just immediately comes at Jesus with the, the greatest temptations he can. And I'm going to try to put these, I mean, I could go into theological terms and really, but let me make this really simple. The first one, he goes after him, he's talking about your stomach, you're hungry, let's make some bread, you've been fasting 40 days. Self-gratification. Make yourself feel better. Let me tempt you, let me make you feel better. The second one is he tempts him to impose his will on others. Go ahead, throw yourself down. The very angels will pick you up because God said it. Impose your will on the heavenly forces. Make these angels perform their jobs. 
You know, we want to do the same thing. We want to impose our will onto others. We want to self-gratify ourselves, and then we want others around us to accept what it is we do. We want to impose our will on them. And then the last one is, he, he wants to impose our will upon God. Here's Satan. I'll give you everything if you just bow down and worship me. Now is the temptation to impose your will of God. I'll give you everything. You know, the devil will give you all kinds of things if you just won't worship God. Let me create some doubt. Let me make some contradictions. And by the way, I can give you all the happiness you want if you just throw out God. Or better yet, we're seeing this in churches. Churches are getting pressured to change what they believe to fit the culture. We want to impose our culture. We know better, God. We know how to treat people fairly. We know, Lord, what's fair. I find that laughable. Anytime people anywhere has tried to impose their will on God because they know how to treat people better than God, it always ends up with death. People people don't treat people well. Only God knows how to treat people well. See, these same temptations we face now, self-gratification, imposing your will on someone else, imposing your will on God, and Jesus was an example for us. He overcame that. You know, how did he overcame it? Well, number one, he chooses to trust God. Jesus is an example for us. He could have overcome this by just being God. Just, com- you know, commanding and, and telling Satan to get out of there and, and, and using his power. But he didn't. He walked it the way you and I should walk it. He trusted God. He trusted in God's word. He lived in the grace of God, and he was willing to give up his life. What I mean by willing to give up his life? Yes, we're talking about the cross, but this is the this is temptation. It's a different time, correct? No, he didn't gratify himself. He was hungry. He was he hadn't eaten in forty days. I don't know. There are some people they might just die if they don't eat in forty days. You know, it's 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 it's, it's an ordeal. It's something special to do that, and. And it's serious, but he was willing to trust God to do that. He was, he was willing. He wasn't just going to throw himself off of a pinnacle because God said he wasn't going to tempt God. He wasn't going to impose his will over anyone else. He's willing to just lay down his life. He, he came to serve us. He didn't impose his will upon the Father, God, and neither should we. He was willing to lay his life down and die if that's what the Father wants. That's what he did on the cross. He laid his life down. He didn't call for angels to protect him. He didn't call down the power of God. I love in the garden when the when they came to get him and the Romans asked him, are you Jesus of Nazareth? And he said, I am. And his statement of I am was the same that Jehovah God did with Moses when he said, I am. Just the very force of him calling his name, it says that they all fell down to the ground. And yet they get back up because they're living in such separation and blindness they're going to try to arrest him again. I find that just remarkable. But that's the type of power he weld. He welded. And yet he willingly didn't choose to impose his will over what God had planned. Instead, he followed through with what his father had planned. Because he's going to bridge the gulf. Now, the last scripture we'll look at is Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 19. 
And we're also going to look at five verses in chapter six, verses five through 10. But let's look at verses 12 through 19 in chapter five. First says, therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin and thus death spread to all men because all sin for until the law sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned in at from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the offense, for it is by one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God that the gift of grace of one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that of which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from the one offense resulted in condemnation, but the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. For by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as through, as through one man's offense judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's righteous act the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. Now, before I read the next path, I, I want to reflect on this a little bit. See, here's Paul, and he's reflecting on this, these two events. The actions of Jesus and the actions of Adam. Adam, the, both of their decisions impacted all of humanity. They were both tempted. Adam's actions produced death, judgment, condemnation, the kingdom of darkness. With that, death and darkness has dominion over the world. Our choices have consequences. Our, our, our actions have results. Sometimes radical results. Adam's actions was radical. It, it changed everything. But Christ, his actions brought forgiveness. Justification. What's justification? Just as if it never happened. That's an easy way to remember justification. Just as if it never happened. See, his choice brought redemption. In other words, redemption is when you take something that's old, used, and no good, and it's restored back to its original form. That's redemption. And he did it because he was righteous and he was obedient. And he's stronger than death. He was stronger than death. And he was able to overcome death's dominion. So sin is a power that holds sway over humanity, causes separation, rejection of God. But Jesus' grace, he's so immeasurably, without, you can't measure it. He's more powerful. He's more extensive than this power of sin that separates us, that makes us want to hide. Now, I want to, I want to read Romans 6, 5 through 10. It says, for if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that the old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin, for he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we should also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. 
For the death that he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. See, Jesus has brought restoration. We don't have to hide. We don't have to cover up. He has defeated sin, darkness, and death. And as I speak to us, I'm believing this this message is for Christians, for people who believe. Although much of this can go for those who have never heard or don't believe. It's, it's the same offer. But just for those of us that believe, we we still have to deal with, with making sinful choices. We're not perfect. And when we do, we need to not hide, not cover it up. But instead, we need to be united with Christ. Realize that because of his death, because of his resurrection, he's broken that. And he was the example. He lives, he lives to God. And that's what we need to do. We need to live and live to God. So what's our choice? Why do we want to live in fear? You know, the devil's only doing a manipulative con job on on us to try and keep us in his dominion. But it's broken. It's just a manipulation and a lie. You can come to God. We can come clean. We don't have to hide anymore. We don't have to cover up and live in fear. See, the consequences has been taken care of. If we come clean and we live to God, if we give our lives to the Lord, if we put our trust and faith in Him, we are set free. We can, we can live in Him. All we have to do is confess and receive His forgiveness, receive His grace, and live for Him. That makes us free to be who He's created us to be. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for today, for Your Word, God. I thank You that, God, we can look at tempted. We're all tempted to hide and to cover ourselves. But, Lord, You've not called us to be in fear. You've called us to come forth, to confess, to live openly with You, to be with You, because You have paid the consequences. You've bridged that gap. And you're offering us forgiveness and life with you. Father, I pray right now in Jesus' name, God, that you'd begin touching those who have heard this, God. That you would touch their hearts, God. The Lord, that they would open up. They would confess to you and you'd bring them close to you, God. That they would live with you and you with them, Lord. That they would live free, God. No more guilt. No more shame, God. That you'd fill them with your love, God. With your forgiveness. And you bring life to them, God. Life, God, and joy and peace in their hearts, God. Father, we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you prayed that with me and you just really just felt the forgiveness of the Lord, if you've, you've come to know him in this way, please drop us a line. Give us a contact. You can reach out to us um, on our website, www.christianimpact.net. You can also email us at admin at christianimpact.net. Also, feel free to look us up over on Facebook, Christian Impact Ministries. And until next time, God bless. Oh.